Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Zimmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, fresh off the plane-ish, <laughs> Nate Pearson. Hello, everybody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Your voice changed when you went to Israel. <laughs> and we're going to talk about your or answer your coaching questions today. You can do so by submitting them at trainerroad.com slash podcast. We come through as many as we can each week. We get a lot of them and uh, we try to find the ones that could provide for the most information and entertainment for you guys. But before we get into the questions and gals, by the way, um, before we do that though, let's, let's talk about what you did, Nate, because it's in an interesting place. It's way off and you actually did a really good job. Thank so you, Jonathan. You re-raced Isramon, right? I am in Which is charge. it Isramon or Isramon? Isramon. Isramon. Okay, yeah. Cool. Gotcha. Jonathan was given like a South American I have no clue how to pronounce it. I've heard Israel, but I don't know. So. Uh, I do pay for, or I I decide if Jonathan is employed or not, so that's why he's like, oh, good. Anything I do anytime, Jonathan's like, <laughs> He does amazing. a great job, people. He does a great job. <laughs> You're so skinny. Um, the, uh, so for those who aren't caught up, uh, the Israeli Ministry of Tourism, mm-hmm. uh, they paid for a trip for one of us to go to Israel. Mm-hmm. I went. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> and then uh, they contacted us because a, a guy at the race, Alex, listens to the podcast. So just in full disclosure, the whole my whole trip was paid for. So everyone knows that. But it was pretty cool. So let's... Let's talk about the race. I just did let's the, do it. the 112 so, of the bike. So it's a, it's a half... Ironman distance or a full Ironman distance. And I did the full. And you did the full, but you did it as a relay. I did it as a relay and I didn't know I was doing the full like until about a week (laughs) out or something like that. And I hadn't done over like a two hour trainer ride. And I think before that, I think I knew one week before that about that I knew I was going, but I thought I was going to do the 56 Mm -hmm. and 56 being a half. And I thought that would be easy. Yeah. And to, to recap a little bit of what we covered last week, you did some crunch preparation, so to speak. You, yeah, you cramming for endeavored <laughs> the best that you could. Which is smiling so yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, just brief overview. What did you do and did it help? I did just long stuff on the trainer, raised my bars, tried to kind of pick a little bit over Ironman pace on the trainer mm. and just get as much time at it as possible, drank a ton of cherry juice, <laughs> tart cherry juice. <laughs> and did that, did the terry, oh, let's not even touch the cherry juice thing. Yeah, listen but, to the last episode. Yeah. Uh, but did you feel like the position helped you? That oh, yeah. change you made? Yep. If I sure. didn't put my, I was thinking the whole time, because even with the higher bars, um, it hurt at the end, but having just being up there, it, it would have been, I couldn't have completed as fast as I did with being yeah, I think that's the single wisest move you made. Yeah, the, yeah. probably the only wise move. I made. <laughs> no, I made two wise moves. The other one was the 60 flow in the front uh-huh. because this race was so windy. So those who don't know. This you said is, it was the windiest conditions you've been in. And for, yeah. for people that don't know, Reno is a very windy area. Yeah, it windy was town. as windy as our windiest time trials in Franktown. So yeah. that doesn't wow. mean anything These to are listeners. TTs when if a crosswind hits you, it'll move you over a foot. Yeah, you're leaning into the wind a lot of the times. Mm-hmm. And there's like, uh, on this one, there's mountains. So sometimes you'll be sheltered and then it will come out of nowhere and you'll see the guy in Duh. front of you get pushed over. So it's, I'm really glad. And it but didn't look like there were any plants alongside the road. There it looked no like, plants. Yeah. Just <laughs> it's like, like you're on Mars. Dirt and rock. So you didn't, cause that one thing we talked about in the Kona episode, which if you want to go back in the Matt Lieto episode and the one right before that, we talked in Kona about 
riding in the wind on a TT bike. And we talked about looking at the grass and the foliage alongside the road to read when wind's going to hit you. And you did not have that luxury. Nope. A couple of <laughs> times, uh, the, the Ironman people started on the course after the, the half. Okay. Well, I shouldn't be saying Ironman cause it's not Ironman brand of race, the That's full right. distance people. Right. Yeah. So I could see some of them as I was passing them get pushed, but it was very windy and credit to the flow wheels. Um, going back to the flow podcast, I got pushed, but I never got twisted. Hmm. So my yeah, front wheel, they, they talked about that. They said that the pressure differential between the front wheel and the back wheel, a lot of the time causes, and some other things can cause twisting. Yeah. It's where in the wind, like it's where the pressure is. And sometimes the pressure when it hits the wheel can be kind of towards the front of the wheel and will actually kind of turn your bars. And that's when you get a really scary experience. Mm-hmm. But when it gets pushed kind of by the fork, your whole bike just gets pushed. Yeah. And my, my 808 Firecrest, I get kind of that same push, but I had an 808 before that, that wasn't the firecrest shape and that used to twist mm. and that would be so scary. I think that's what people like yeah. think of, of when you have a deep wheel and wind about it being scary. But yeah. the 60 was, I think I only had one like, oh, oh shoot experiences right. when uh, I was going extremely fast and a big gust came out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Everything else was kind of like, okay, this just is hard because of the wind. <laughs> yeah. And, and so the... The you swim in the Red Sea. Yep, which we have a correction. It is not. It's just like ocean salinity. Yes. On Wikipedia, it messed me up because it said some percentage of yeah of long. You look at on Wikipedia, but basically, it's like the ocean. It's like four percent yeah. roughly. But when you swim in it, so um, I didn't swim in it, but people have told me is you get to look at like tropical fish while you're swimming. Really? It's like yeah, there's like an aquarium there, and it's. Wow. Um, I went. We went to an aquarium where you could kind of go down into the ocean uh-huh. and see like actual fish, and it looks like Hawaii or something like that. Like wow! Just tropical fish and turtles and that kind of thing. Oh, I guess I missed that. Cool. So Chad, you could have seen all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the the swim and it was pretty cold. That day, the, right? yeah, the the water wasn't cold actually. I know a couple huh. people who did it without wetsuits. Wow! And they were fine. So the water was warm, but the weather was pretty or relatively. Yeah, we cold. hit. So two days before it was like 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm. And then our race, I think the high was like 56. Wow. So it just, yeah, we just hit a a cold spot. It's cold at least if you're swimming or on the bike. Yeah. Yeah. You can get out of the water. It'll be cold. And then you got on the bike, you started out with a long, how long was the climb? Well, let me tell you about first what I was wearing. Cause I was, yeah, yeah, true. This helps with a lot of people. And this will Um, tie into a question that's coming up at some point, but yeah. So I went back and forth with Alex, who's done the race before, and he's the media director down there about what I should wear. Thank he, you, Alex, by yeah, the way. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Mm-hmm. He, he, we went back. He's going to laugh because I probably asked him 10 times what I should wear. And he's like, arm warmers and gloves, maybe a vest, people wearing jackets. But as you know, I'm a little anal about the aero stuff. Yes. And having all of that on me will slow you down. A lot. Like a lot, a lot. Yes. Like maybe 20, 30 watts with all that stuff. Yeah. So I went like the day before I left to um, a sports store here and I got a Under Armour cold weather gear compression shirt. Mm-hmm. So they make like hot weather and cold weather. And the cold weather has a little bit of thermal on it. Okay. They make short sleeve ones of those, but they didn't have them. So I got a long sleeve one and cut the arms. It's going to be my go-to base layer for that temperature. It's hmm. like wearing a, a wind vest, but mm-hmm. it, I can put it underneath my skin suit and nice. there's no... Does it get sweaty? Yeah, does it no. breathe? That's the it that's was, the tough amazing. thing with a lot of those base layers. If you find them, if it's like a 
like usually merino wool base layers are usually your best bet because they don't really get sweaty. Um, but a lot of the ones that you find, like you said, like at a sports store. So if it's like, you know, the typical Under Armour, Nike, something brands, you know, that you see, sometimes those can be pretty sweaty and that's the worst the moisture in. Oh, that's the worst because then you, you're working hard, you get yeah. sweaty and then you start descending or something Miami. or the wind. Well, this one was cold. So Miami. my Garmin says it was like 39 degrees up to 45 at the end. That's cold. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, and, but I only had, my hands got cold twice on two long descents and I had no gloves on. Mm. Other than that, it was nice. It was perfect. And I'm going to use this all the time. <laughs> I kind of want to get a short sleeve one now that's not cut off so I could wear on. So I'm going outside for a long time. Right. Yeah. As a base layer. And then you no, had the, it's, it's going back on that too. It's really yeah. nice because it's super tight. So there's no extra, you know what I mean? When you wear a Jersey, yeah. I could, I was very anal about getting all the the wrinkles Smoothing it out. down, yeah. yeah. The wrinkles out. And then you are wearing the S-Works Evade yeah, TT pins. suit, not the GC one, right? No, the GC one. The GC one. It has so pockets. It has pockets in the back. Yep. Um, and then you also use the S-Works 6, sub-6 shoes, the lace ones. Did you yeah. use the covers? I did. And uh, it's really hard to get them to have no wrinkles in them all the time. I uh-huh. looked at some pictures, and just as you're riding, they get little wrinkles. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to... Hmm. probably does hurt it some, but... Interesting. I have to try to see if I can do something to make the wrinkles go away. Interesting. And then you had which helmet? The Specialized TT, TT one. one. we said last time, yeah. Yeah, okay. S-Works TT, I think it's called. So you had all the... And then glasses, what did you use? No, just a, uh, there's a visor. There's a visor, yeah. so no glasses. So how the race starts out is you have like a 2,000-foot climb. Mm-hmm. And I did... Uh, the the steepest section of it, I did 35 minutes for 271 watts. Okay. And... On that climb, I'd pass some people, but some people would kind of like, kind of blow by me. And your FTP, we assumed, is right around 300. Yeah, 300. Maybe slightly higher or right maybe, at 300. Maybe yeah. 310, but okay. I said 300 just because based on those tests that we just did yeah. and workouts that I did before, yeah. 300. Yeah, and two, so 277s or 271, you said? Yeah. That's that's still, that's a good amount going Yeah, and I was climb. using best bike split, so that's what it told me to do. So yep. that's what I did. And the nice. whole time, I just... I tried to pace exactly what best bike split. Did you tape their little cheat sheet to your top I did. two? Nice. Mm-hmm. It was really nice. That's I awesome. would, next time I'd try to uh, enlarge the text because if you just print it out right from the site, it's kind of small. Gotcha. Interesting. So you got up the climb. How long was it? Oh, I think like the main climb section is at 35 minutes, but from the really, when you start going down again, it's like an hour. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So just kind of like floats around up there for a while before. No, you, you kind of go up a little bit and then down and up a little bit down. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So rolling hills. And the, the landscape, it's it's actually just like Nevada or Salt Lake City or Las Vegas. Okay. And it's except a little more aggressive. It looks like you're on Mars. Very um, jagged rock, steep stuff. Okay. And when you're biking, you're on the border of Egypt and there's a giant fence there. Huh. And there's Egyptian guards, like, ready for war on one side. <laughs> and there's up in the hills, just in random spots, there's Israeli, like, commandos. Fully armed. Fully armed, like, bakl- what are they called? The face Ball- masks? Balaclava. Yeah, balaclava. Yeah, balaclava. Uh, yeah. But they're cheering for you. <laughs> <laughs> the Egyptians awesome. didn't cheer for me, but the... Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. It was like, oh, That's pretty cool. cool. Man. Got some guys watching my back here. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's one section, too, where you... Uh, it's it's perfectly safe and it's closed. There's no cars. But there's one where, like, 
if you take a turn here, it's like, if you go towards here, you will die. Like we will shoot you. <laughs> like don't, it's just clear. don't, I mean, obviously don't mess around with the border, like yeah. go to the Egyptian exactly. border and like yeah. taunt the guards. Right. Yeah. You want to stay on course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the course is pretty in the course is clearly laid there's out. There's no turns. It's, yeah. It's not there's like a turnarounds and that's it. So just keep going. The easy as it gets. And there's a lot of people. So, but you held a pretty high IF the whole time, which yeah. IF for those that don't know, that's intensity factor. It's all based off of what percentage of your threshold you're riding at um and what's so chad what's like typical for like an iron man leg yeah, so for like, like the, the top pros at iron man and consider these guys are riding for about four and a half hours maybe 440 sort of thing they'll do like 0.8 is pretty high 0.81 you get up to 0.85 and you know it's probably uh, your threshold is underestimated yeah so 0.8 is, is kind of the tipping point between pros and, and nons so that's riding in four to five hours at point eighty percent four hours yeah, yeah four hours pros. 80 so go, per, yeah that's true because as them. you go longer that yeah. intensity factor has to go down yep so that's exactly. something that's a good takeaway is that if you're a six seven hour bike rider you can't ride at 0.8 no exactly theoretically yeah. it's impossible so so that's to give you a point of reference and Nate, I think you did pretty darn well. I went deep. Yeah. I have never gone as deep as I have. I think this is the deepest I've ever gone in any race in wow. the history of my life. Wow. Huh. Yep. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's all because of you podcast listeners. <laughs> if you sucked, we would have let you have it. I know. Um, so what was your intensity factor, your IF for the whole what race? What was it? 0.77? I think 0.77. Yeah, 0.77 for six hours and 11 minutes. Six that hours, 12 brutal, minutes and 54 man. seconds. That is brutal. So, Gross. Yeah. 612. So, uh, well, 613, run it up. And everyone listening who's an Ironman person goes, wow, Nate rode really slow. But because of the... The wind and the... Because um, the majority the, of the wind was like a headwind. Like well, you it was have, just wind every way. Yeah. <laughs> so all the directions. <laughs> yes, every direction uh, Except it probably didn't feel like a tailwind a whole lot of the time. I want right? to say it was like <laughs> constant 30 mile per hour winds. Oh. Yeah. And then you have a climb in that course exactly. too. Exactly. So you, you lose elevation. Right. And so overall though, I was, um, including everybody, including the pros, I was the 13th fastest bike split. That's good, man. And I beat two male pros. Nice work. Not including the pros. I was the eighth. Granted, fastest. you didn't swim or run. So what was the there, fastest but... bike split? So there's one guy that did a 524 Ooh. and then never finished the race. Okay. So this guy was kind of weird, but then everyone else, there was a few people like, including pros were like 555 and there's like a 556 and a 557. Yeah, so we're talking like a 15, 20 minute margin between you and the top pro times. Yeah, exactly. So that was good. But again, I didn't have to run a marathon. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes a big difference. Yeah, yeah, a bit. Certainly does. Yeah. Certainly there was does. one pro too. I don't want to call him out because I'm not hundred percent sure, but I am ninety-five percent sure he drafted almost the whole Oh man. You're not you're not the only one who's ninety-five percent sure. A lot of yeah. people were pretty people sure that pretty yeah. sure. a lot of people we because I came off the bike in ninth place, which yeah. was by the way, if you can ever do that, it's really fun because you're like, you're the front of the race and you can <laughs> yeah. count people. Normally I can't count people in an Ironman of a, right. or a full distance triathlon, but this, in the headwinds, he was just sucking wind. Somebody actually after the race came up to me and thought I was doing it and like kind of chewed me out. But then Dang. the guy that was getting drafted off of came over and goes, Oh no, it wasn't this guy. It was this other somebody guy. else. And, and to be clear, I also told Nate, but I don't think this worked. I told him, this isn't an Ironman sanctioned event. This is, this is Isramon. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> no, no. You had <laughs> and to, you can't. <laughs> yeah, you can't. I was, was wrong. <laughs> they were very, uh, very against uh, drafting. Drafting, yep. But I didn't see any As course marshals. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. such a tricky It was game, weird, though. So. The, they didn't, the course marshals, they're just people on motorbikes. So you couldn't tell if they were a 
photographer or a marshal. Mm. Which Keeps I, you on your toes. I kind of like that, yeah, because yeah. other times you see them in like the stripes, and then you oh, there's course marshal. But when you don't really know, yeah, yeah, that's kind of. I cool. kind of like that they're also on motor, and this is just an aside. I kind of like that they're also on motorcycles. They weren't in cars, right? Because no. the the one thing that I see at Kona every year is they have the VIP cars where they take like some VIP people in, and then they have camera cars, and I always think, man, that's giving off a huge draft even a lateral benefit if you're next to it versus a motorcycle still gives a benefit but yeah, they had a media bus but it only came by once yeah and it, it would just pass you for a second and it passed right. everybody but i agree with you if there's like a big thing kind of riding with you for 10 it minutes it really does help like yeah. even if you're talking about lateral drafting like if you're riding next to a car you get a lot of benefit so yeah especially when the winds aren't just straight on headwinds totally so the the i was so thrash afterwards. There's some <laughs> pictures on my Facebook. My eyes are all like puffy. I'm super pale and red eyed. You looked but, like you went deep. Yeah. So there was an Italian pro in the half, uh, from the nineties, Claudio Chiapucci. Yeah. Right? Is it Chiapucci or Chiapucci? Whatever one. I always heard yeah. it said Claudio Chiapucci. Stellar okay. climber in the like early nineties of the Tour de France. He, he yeah. won the mountain classification twice in Tour de France. So he is a bonafide climber. Yeah. Pretty legit. Yeah. yeah. And there is on his Wikipedia page, there's something about he used a doctor for doping, but I mean, pretty much if you want a mountain stage in the early nineties <laughs> or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. there's a yeah. good question. But anyways, um, in this race for that, so he only did the half yeah. and during the half, he beat me by eight minutes. Hmm. So I was like, man, if I just did the half, I would have been so cool to beat him. Um, but I had some gear problems. Yeah, a, a lot of them. I was, <laughs> So this is, yeah, go ahead. Tell them what, what it is. And then after. So going into this race, my front derailleur, I'd always have drop chains and yeah. I've talked about chain catchers and stuff. In Ultegra or Durace DI2? The first generation Ultegra DI2. Okay. And I took it to a bike shop last minute and my front derailleur was bent. So it was too wide. And that's so the why cage was actually bent, not like, exactly. yeah, with a DI two, it was just too wide open. Yeah, exactly. Oh, splayed okay. open so that if you, if you adjusted it to, oh, yeah. to not go over too far or something, you just not couldn't set it up. Right. Took it to the bike shop. I even brought my other bike with DI two into it and said, Hey, this one works great. Let's switch these out. He said, nah, don't worry about it. I'll <laughs> save you some money. I will just bend it back. I'll jerry rig this thing and I'll be fine. So I was like, oh, okay, we'll try it. He bent it back. I rode it in the parking lot for like 10 minutes, tried to drop the chain so many times. Never, it worked perfectly. Hey, there's there's this magic bubble around bike shops <laughs> that exists. It's like a safe zone. If you ride your bike it's within like when that you take zone. The, take your car to the mechanic. It's making this noise and it won't make that noise. Exactly right. Yeah. Everything works perfectly around a bike shop. So then I took it in Elot. So the, the race too was in the southern tip of Israel in Elot. And it's like got a whole bunch of like kind of resort style hotels and it's got a nice beach and a whole bunch of family stuff. It's kind of like a vacation spot. And I think they're trying to make it a vacation spot for people from Europe. It's like a four or five hour one. You can have right. tropical fish and palm trees. Yeah, it's quick. Yeah, exactly. And a very beautiful area. There's a lot of history around there. We went to a, uh, I'll go back a second. We went and saw Egyptian hieroglyphic Hieroglyphics? Hieroglyph. Yeah. You, say, you guys talk for me. <laughs> but that was really cool. Right, that was to see awesome. That. Yeah. yeah. And kind of like steps that were carved out like thousands of years ago. How cool. Anyways, um, so during the race, after the big climb, uh, I dropped my chain mm -hmm. to the inside and it got caught in my frame. So that, that means dropped past the little ring 
Yep. And caught it by the bottom bracket, yeah. which is the worst. And if that happens, and if you try to pedal out of it, I, I've gotten stuck. Yeah, and you can jam it in there so thoroughly that you're not getting it out without it's tools. It's to race. Yeah. Oh, yep. yeah. I almost rode the bike too at the 10 mil Allen wrench. Mm. But anyways, I didn't. So I got off as soon as it happened and I g- pulled with all my might and got it out. Sheesh. Thank which goodness. is always worrisome too, because you can bend a chain pretty easily. Oh, I know. Yeah. So but I, went, I mean, what are you going to do? It's stuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah. I didn't touch anything. Well, I, and I went going some more and the next time I dropped the chain to the outside. <sighs> so you can imagine how messed it up that I could drop inside and outside. Which if it drops outside, a lot of the time you can salvage it by continuing to pedal and shifting down I've, into the little ring, but sometimes you can't. And so if you don't too, you can also twist your chain and mess it up too. And yeah, especially if your chain catches kind of the chain ring and follows backward instead of staying in front of the chain ring, then you can fold it up into your derailleur and it, yeah, it's exactly. bad. Yeah. So I just, because I wasn't going to, like I wasn't in a group worrying that I was going to get dropped, I just pulled over and mm-hmm. fixed that. Yeah. So then I was going through and trying to figure out, okay, if I am in this rear gear, I could switch into this. And the, the rest of the course is rolling. Like you're going eight, 10% up and then you're screaming down. So you're shifting in that front. Yeah. That I, big I hit a max speed of 48.5. Oh, wow. Good on the TT back in the wind. So yeah. what you're saying is there's a lot of shifting. A lot of shifting. And then I actually... I dropped the chain again in between the big and the small oh. ring. And then uh, also to be in clear. In between the rings. Yeah. yeah. So it's really weird. You're really <laughs> exploring the whole spectrum <laughs> yeah. there. Explore the space. Yeah. But the one thing tells also we should clarify is you're, you're, you know what you're doing. You're not like down in the smallest cog or up in the biggest gear. Mm-hmm. In fact, you even, I think mentioned the fact that you were trying to think like, don't drop the chain, go into the center of the cassette. So it's the best, gives myself the well, best chance. Yeah. So with the, the, I didn't, I could figure it out where it was all messed up, but I could get in the big ring and not drop it off to the end if I was like two down in the okay. back. So you really got into that. Like yeah. you, you had nothing you to do out there. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But anyway, so after that third one, I was like, I'm never shifting again. And I that was about a quarter of the way through the course. We did the rest oh, of the course in the big ring. drop chains. Oh. Yep. And then, and then finished it out the in the big ring. Yeah. So I'm thinking I could have went up a few either. more places in the overall. I'm sure. And we, we lost sick. the podium for the relay by one minute. Uh, and I had more than a minute of getting off the bike and fixing my chains. Yeah. Not to mention that it just derails your focus. Your oh, it's I know. I mean, frustrating. Throws getting back off. up to speed. It's it makes it a whole different race. It does. So, I and here's the interesting thing on this. I didn't have a bent derailleur cage on the bike that I rode during um, the the Hunt Six, that long Everesting ride in L.A. Yeah, I got I got five drop chains on that ride. So five drop chains in 220 miles is a lot with electronic shifting. With electronic shifting, um, I've and I've seen a lot of people. I mean, there are. I've never had a drop chain. Oh no, I have on my on my Venge. Yeah, I have. Never mind. Yeah, so it's it's really rare to or I, it's more by far and away. I have more drop chains with. Um, with, uh, what with electronic shifting that I've used, which has just been DI2. I've never tried ETAP, but I've had more drop chains with that than I've had with standard stuff. See, I've, I, I loved it until I think I had until my problem with yeah. the, and then everything else. And now it's just, yeah. But if you've got a, a whacked out front derailleur cage, that's, that's it's, no matter it's hard what to you pin have. it on DI2. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. If it was mechanical, that's not DI2. Being... That's just, and the, the only issue I could see that DI2 causes those drop chains is basically the derailleur 
moves further than it needs to for a short period of time to make sure that the shift actually happens and then comes back. Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you are just in a rare situation where you hit a bump or you are cross-chained in one direction really poorly, that little extra movement it does to make sure the shift happens can derail things. But I think that's the only situation that The extra movement would would have been fine if my front trailer wasn't so wide because there was enough room that it could then bump off. Exactly. And, And also to be clear, that doesn't the limit screws that you have there, the, those limit screws take into account that little extra adjustment that mm. it makes. So, yeah. So, anyways, that was very, very, very frustrating. But oh. I still did a good job. Turned in a good performance. That's yeah. pretty impressive. And stuff, I, I actually didn't race with heart rate because I was so messed up with the time change mm. and I wasn't sleeping. That's a very really well. good. Yeah. That's a good point. It might I have was, been good to record it, but I wouldn't have looked at it during the ride. Why were you even recording? Yeah, why even who cares? Just to see how you respond to travel and. But who cares? What sleep. am I going to do with it? Uh, like I said, I collect data, whether or not you ever use it, it's up to you. Yeah. So that, but I didn't want to do is have my heart rate out there and, and have it like mess with my brain. Cause I'm guessing it wouldn't have gone up very high. Yeah. It wouldn't have been. Yeah. It always, it always frustrates me when I travel and then I ride somewhere just in my schedule is thrown off and everything else. And that does usually manifest itself in some way. So an elevation change, all that, you know, all yeah. the screws things up. So, um, and then I also had the, uh, the gradient on my Garmin. So my best bike split would do it. I noticed I've never... best bike split said, if it's this percent to this percent ride at this wattage. Yep. So and it also yeah. gave you wind recommendations. You said, uh, it's like, yeah, if you have a crosswind right at this one, but it, they're all, were kind of like pretty close in terms of wattage output. Okay. Yeah. Um, and was your, was the predicted time pretty close? I no. mean, you had the drop chains, you had more so wind. So said 230, my prediction was 235 normalized power. <laughs> and that was, yeah. um, so I was four watts off from that, which is nice pretty good. Job. Super close. Um, but that had me at a 555. But if you look at this, everyone's times were much slower. Longer. Yeah, so because of if that. there was less wind, um, it would have been great. And this course, the, no, I mean, I don't think anyone goes, I love what riding wind, right? No one no does. One does. <laughs> this is a tailwind. Yeah, uh, exactly. exactly. This is a tailwind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this course would have been super duper fun without as much wind. Some wind would have been right. fine, but just because of the rolling nature of it, and like the scenery and seeing like the commandos and the it would have been Egypt. awesome, man. Yeah. It's like incredible. Yeah. It's very um and like giant sky kind of thing, you know what I yeah. mean? Because there's really nothing out there. Had to have been pretty surreal. Like, exactly. It is. It feels like you're on Mars. That's so cool. When we traveled with uh like eight other press people and one was a, a pro athlete and he was there with his wife. This is a good recommendation for the race, is they've done it three times in a row. They've come wow. back. That's how much how they cool. like it. Because I think that's a good way to see, like, if somebody really likes a race, do they come back and do it over yeah. and over again? So I know you didn't do the run, but what was the run like? You start... We, I think it, we had assumed before that you started with a downhill. Yeah, you yeah. So you run down the same thing I biked up. Sheesh. Um, I think it would destroy your legs. The pro I was with, he said that it was... It's kind of nice, actually, because it... Uh, you just keep your cadence up and you, you feel good and you go really fast. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then you kind of run inside of a lot and it's pretty down there. Because if you start out with a climb, that would really bog your legs down versus oh yeah. starting out it's with a It's just right down. Yeah. Right yeah. away. And then you run along the shore after that? Um, You know what? I'm not really yeah. sure. That's cool. I know I, no, I know. sometimes you're, you are along the shore. You are because I know you run by this dolphin thing and stuff. So What a cool event, man. Yep. Like I, I look at all these and... I mean, all of those that are listening that uh, do triathlon and especially like a lot of the big bucket list races, Hmm. man, if you're going to do one, you might as well do one that's like 
that's in a, an amazing place, you know. Yeah, and it's if, something, if you're going to invite Trainer Road, invite three people next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to... So we can all go and prepare for it. Yeah, that'd be awesome. But, like, make... I, I definitely agree with making these type of big events that you're really going to spend all year preparing for. Like, pick one that does not just uh, checks a box, but also excites you, you know? So I'd definitely go cool. back. And I hope That's they awesome. invite us back. But so this is my recommendations for the race. Yeah. Um, I was with uh, Kevin McKinnon, who's one of the biggest. He used to work for Ironman. He's been to every Ironman race to be a pro. And in his mind, a lot of people's minds, this is one of the top two hardest iron distance races in the world. Nice. Norseman being another one. Norseman's rough. Wow. So if you are like to do epic events, also make it into a racecation and we'll talk about the other stuff we did here in a second, but yeah, this would be, it's a cool event to go to. Yeah. Um, you're not going to get a PR time, but also it is not as competitive as like a U.S. Ironman. Right. So like in U.S. Ironman, I'm not getting ninth overall on the bike. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So you can come out here and win your age group, get a podium. Like it's really fun to race at the front. Right. Um, I mean, there are still fast people, but there's just, it's not as deep as like a... Not as dense with them. Yeah, exactly. Ben Collins rode the half and I want to say he did like a, I don't know his time actually. I can look it up. You can look it up. I want to say it's a 520, but him for a half, he's like halves usually in four hours. Right. So a 520, it gives you an idea about it. But so that's probably the biggest pro, US pro that was there. Nice. But it's very epic and you have to say, yes, I want to do an epic extremely hard yeah. iron distance race. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. And then, uh, so after the race, yeah. you went and saw some, which we won't turn this into like, you know, Rick Steve's travel Europe or anything yeah. like that, but <laughs> I got um, good travel trips, but, but yeah, yeah. But you, you went around and checked out some of the yeah, spots. I'll, I'll talk about the places that I went that I, that I recommend. So, um, on the way back, we went to Masada, which is like this ancient ruin where Romans surrounded them for like three years. Wow. Um, they, they're on like this giant cliff. It's kind of looks like game of Thrones or something. They, when they ran out of food, they all killed each other. Crazy. Cause they didn't want to surrender. Hmm. And so in their religion, if you commit suicide, you don't go to heaven. So like the, 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 the father of the family would kill the children and the wife Wow. And then somebody else would kill him. And they had to like draw straws, like these little stones. And they have pictures of them of who was the last guy who would then kill himself and then not go to heaven. Holy cow, man. Yeah. And it's really well preserved. And it's, that was really cool. And you can run up, like you can do this pretty good hike up to it, or you can take a, a trolley like I did. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Post-race trolley. Um, Dead Sea, <laughs> highly recommend that. That's on the buckets list. So that's the one that has the extremely high salt content. Yeah. You get in and it feels like oily. It's really weird. Um, kind of like baby oils in the water. Weird. And when you like sit down in the water, it's like you're under a floaty and you just float. That is And you nuts. can't get your face in it at all because it will burn. Um, my legs burned from shaving them the day before. Oh, I bet. And uh, little saddle sores, a little burning. <laughs> I'm sure. So like a hundred percent, if you go there, go do that. And don't shave for a bit beforehand. Yeah. It, I mean, it burns a little bit, but it wasn't, Okay, it wasn't, it was fine. Right. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and then in Jerusalem, if you are a religious person, like one of the, the major religions, you should totally go there because there's just so much history. We saw the, the Western wall also called the Wailing wall going through like the Muslim neighborhood and the Orthodox Jew neighborhood, seeing um, 
the stations of the cross, right? Is that what you call yeah, it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all the, the walls and stuff. And there's just so much history, but if you do go, I recommend watching documentaries about it before, mm. because like with my guide, there's just so much information. And I didn't know a lot about Jerusalem that some of it I missed because I wasn't, I have to come, I should come in prepared. Right. And also I would hire a guide just because, uh, there's so many like small things that they can point out to you that you wouldn't get. So right. there's a whole bunch of tour groups, like, it's a major thing there. Of course. Yeah. yeah. yeah I went to like a little market and that was amazing. Um, in general too, we should bring this up. I felt really safe the whole time and yeah, I didn't yeah. go to like the Gaza Strip or, right. yeah. yeah, or like West Bank though. You were, I was close, but I wasn't, I wasn't in like, again, I was with a guide the whole time and we didn't go to the places that are dangerous. I think a good analogy is, um, I would take my family to Chicago, mm-hmm. even though Chicago has, shooting deaths every single day, oh, right? A lot of them. Yeah. More than Jerusalem, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. Jeru- uh, like way more. Way, places in the U.S. are way more violent. Exactly. But you don't think of it like that. You think Chicago's fine. And if you're in the places where you yeah. where you would go and you'd right. want to go, yeah, exactly. but I could try to go to Chicago and get shot pretty right. easily. If I, I mean, not saying you would do that in Jerusalem, but right. just when you go around to places... Same thing with you LA. felt safe. Yeah, you exactly. the main takeaway. Even in Reno, clear of. I don't send people to places in Reno where I know right. are not. Everyone there. knows that. Yeah. One more thing. Um, Tel Aviv was also very awesome. That's really modern and new, and that's where all the liberal people are. And then Jerusalem is where all the uh, like conservative and religious people are. And if I was a young guy, I would single. Mm-hmm. I'd go to this race. <laughs> this is my listen up, guys. <laughs> listen up, single guys. Bring some buddies. I would do the race first. Then I would go to Tel Aviv and they have extremely good nightlife and food and I would kind of party there. And then Jerusalem's 30 minutes away. Nice. So you can just drive and see all the stuff there. And on the way back, you can do the uh, the Dead Sea and Masada and that kind of thing and kind of have this really cool international, it's exotic experience. Yeah. Yeah. That would so be anyways, awesome. I hope I get invited back. Um, it's a cool event, man. I'm, I'm jealous. Cool. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, one more takeaway. My aerobic threshold was 230, right? Yeah, according to the test we did. Yep. yep. Yeah. And I did 231 normalized power. There we are. And that that's insane. And that's just where you settled in too, right? Because yep. anytime you rose above it, it was like, eh, yeah, exactly. too much. It, it's exactly, Chad. So that's kind of, it shows, like if, if I were to go above that aerobic threshold, it gets like harder and harder, right? Yeah. At a faster rate. Granted, and granted that also changes as you get stronger and everything else too. That's something to point out. It's not like forever at your life, 230. Exactly. Yeah, it's not a fixed percentage of anything. So yeah. if I could come back and be 50 watts higher, I should be able to ride it at, like my FTP was 50 watts. I should be able to ride this at 280 watts. Yeah, exactly. And win the bike split. Pretty Yay. sweet. Yeah. Unless I go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. All right. Oh, let's smack. Already smack talk. This is going to be a long year. Um, let's get into Steven's question. Let's kick off with that. He says, I'm blessed with thick. I like how he says blessed uh, with thick. Oh. Yeah. I'm sorry. I have yeah. one small story. It's Steven, funny. you'll have to wait. Sorry, Steven. So I got a massage after the race. Yeah. I've been holding this just so I could tell you in the podcast. Yeah. And this, this Russian girl was massaging me and I told her that I had, I just done the race. Yeah. She massages my back. She gets to my leg and she goes, huh, I thought you would have had more muscle on your legs. <laughs> 
That is the best thing I've heard. And I said, okay. She oh, goes, no, great. it's good. It's good. Did you tell her that your legs are aerodynamic? Uh, no, but I thought that in my brain. <laughs> but I was like, oh, thanks, lady. That's oh, very that's nice. Awesome. Like, they're so skinny that she mentioned it. Very positive con- that Nate never takes himself too seriously. Little do you know, yeah. Chad and I, we paid her to say that. So, yeah. um, <clears throat> all right. Uh, Steven, he says, I'm blessed with thick, dark leg and arm hair. And I've tried to shave it a couple of times during my cycling career. Both times I had bad razor burn and ingrown hairs despite my best efforts to exfoliate and moisturize. Is it acceptable to use a beard trimmer or should I just be a hairy mammal? And for those that don't know what mammal means, it's middle-aged man and Lycra. Any other strategies? Um, You know, I have dealt with this topic for so many years that I've basically given up and just accepted that there are certain parts of my body I couldn't shave. Um, until like a month ago, I bought a very specific little body trimmer and I'm not saying it has to be this trimmer, but I think the trimmer is actually a really good way to go because while I can use a razor on my lower legs and I don't get razor burn and bumps and, and uh, ingrown hairs and all that upper legs was a very different story, but now I'm using this trimmer instead of a razor. And for you know, what it's worth, it's the Phillips and the Rocco body groom series 3,100 in case anybody wants that particular like the one. one with the vacuum. No, no vacuum. It's not, it's not quite so fancy. It only runs, geez, I don't know, 30 bucks. But I haven't had any problems at all. Now I can shave my upper legs. How close and does I don't it sh- have, Oh, so you trim first, then shave. It's got like trimmers on both sides, so you can go backward and forward. And then it's got a little razor in between that shaves it basically skin oh, wow. close. But oh, for really? some reason, yeah, for some reason, Whoa. I'm not getting the bumps and the pain. I have like a day of where the hair's growing out and it bumps up against the clothing. And it's a little irritable, but it doesn't go any further than that. I'm going to look that up. I yeah. just got a... I have the same experience. If I shave my upper, like my thighs, yeah. oh. I get like acne and it's just gross. It's murderous. Yeah. I, it just looks bad. Oh, and I have like, terrible. they're really pale and it's gross. Yeah. So I, I got a beard trimmer that goes to like half a millimeter and it has a little vacuum on it. So it will suck up the hair as you're, it's as like you're, a, it's like a Floby. If anybody knows of, what a Floby is. <laughs> sort of like that. Like I forget the, <laughs> the brand, but I use that on my upper legs and it gets close enough where on my upper leg, since there's not exposed to the wind, I just leave it there and yeah. you can't really tell unless you rub my legs, which no one does. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, oh, uh, I guess that massage therapist did. <laughs> and then the, uh, my lower legs are fine. So I, sh- I just shave it, but that's 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 my experience, but I think I'm gonna get that one that Chad said. Absolutely try it. And that's a cool insight. Yeah, I haven't nicked myself with it. I mean, there's Doesn't just no downside time to this thing. on your legs. Super quick. Because um, that's the most frustrating yeah, thing to me about so shaving. So much time. Time. Yep. So much time. You know, no, this so, thing is uh, impressing me. I I absolutely I know this is coming as a surprise to everybody, but uh, once again, a vanity thing coming from me. But I absolutely hate having to deal with body hair. I hate it. And, uh, but I have really sensitive skin. So like if I were to scratch my forehead right now, it'd be red for the rest of the podcast. It's just how my skin works. And, uh, the one thing that I have noticed is, so I used a dollar shave club for a while, terrible quality control on their razors. And they would give me razor burn very regularly. I always use like moisturizing, um, um, shave gel whenever I shave as well. I don't just like wet shave or any, or dry shave heavens. No, but Ooh. yeah, that would be terrible. Don't but, do that. Yeah. Don't Ever. do that. Um, one person listening going, Oh really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, somebody I'm sure can tolerate it, but, uh, those I had really bad luck with Harry's. That's another one that you can uh, subscribe to like a subscription one. I use their products and absolutely love them. Yeah. They're better. Uh, I've had a lot better luck with those, um, in terms of quality control with like super good razors. Me. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm going ham on this one. I'm going deep and I'm getting, 
uh, an IPL, which is basically like, it's, it's not a laser hair removal, but basically it uses like light and it's not quite, I think in the same frequencies as a laser. So they don't call it laser for marketing purposes, but you use that and it basically you, it takes a while. How many years? No, no, no. So it doesn't take years. No, I mean like each hair follicle, do you have to? Mm, No, no. So basically it's like a three centimeter by three centimeter square, right? Uh So it's not very big. That's pretty small. And then what you do is you put that down on your leg. And then once it feels like it has contact on your leg, like a light goes green and you hit the button and it flashes. And they say that it feels like kind of like a rubber band snapping on you, which Hmm. doesn't probably feel great. But Everybody that, you back to middle school. If you look at, yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> if you look at all the reviews on this, uh, really what it does is it cuts down density of your hair follicles. It cuts down also eventually on those hair follicles even existing. So it kills them off slowly, hmm. but surely. And every, if you read the reviews, it doesn't work with people with dark skin. They say that, uh, for some reason, I think it's the frequency of light doesn't react as well. And it can actually cause some pain if you have darker skin, but if you have light skin and dark hair, they work best. Um, and they, people say that within three weeks, even of doing it, they have like noticed, like the hair takes two, three times as long to grow back and it's much less dense. The hair is more fine. And then after a month or two, it either doesn't grow back or they shave once a month. And that to me would be like, I would save a lot of money, but then also it would be really great. It does feel, you know, it does twinge and you have to go down your leg and you have to take some time. So did you it's buy it yet? It. I haven't yet. They're expensive. They're like $500. Oh. Well, as, as always, Jonathan, wait a Five years of training Several road. steps too far. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of what I do. <laughs> but the That's thing five is, years of training road. It's a lot of money. Um, but I am going to get one and test it out and see if it works. And if it doesn't, I'll... We'll borrow don't, it. Don't you think can it's free training road, e- so it works if, out. If, yeah. it, if it doesn't, you can check out my eBay account and then uh, <laughs> I'm sure you'll be able to find something on there. But... Yeah, because I, I absolutely, it frustrates me. So so I think with Steven, I would recommend if either Chad's way, and if that doesn't work, my way with the built beard trimmer, it goes so short that I bet you it would help with the arrow. You might not even be able to see it because it just goes so Well, he close. says that he has some dark, dark hair and it's pretty thick. One thing that you but can try- But at least he try, wouldn't get the ingrown hairs because you're not going which below is, the skin. Yeah, which- Arrow benefits aside, if you have ingrown hairs that are really uncomfortable, then that's that's, cool. that's terrible. So, um, the the one thing that I could recommend too, I have tried. If you use Nair, um, they make Nair oh, yeah. that's actually for mm. like your body um, instead of like sensitive areas like your armpits. Or if you do have sensitive skin, they make stuff for that too. Yeah, I've gone the Nair route, and I've never had great results with it. But mm. a lot of people have mentioned the fact that it does. Um, They'll use Nair, and then they say for the subsequent few shaves after that, it's not as. Chad, what do you use on your head? So, uh, just a electric clippers, and then uh, some. Uh, I I hear Veda, a Veda, a Veda lotion. Okay. okay, that's simple. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we just spent a long time talking about um, esthetician things. <laughs> People on their first, well, rate, the on their first, uh, like it's travel podcast, <laughs> travel and, and, and shaving. Yeah, <laughs> but you know what? Uh, for all of us cyclists and triathletes on here, no. we shave. It it's makes a sense. big unspoken. We never topic. talk about it, exactly. and it is a point of frustration. And uh, shaving, and oh. we, we do have some training questions in the pipe here. We promise. Let's do it, Scott. He says, "Love the app and the podcast, transforming my training." Uh, I'm transforming my training following a serious accident, long layoff about a year ago. Uh, so, you you know, forgive me. I read that wrong. Trainer road is transformed his training. And he says, thank you. So kudos. Good to hear Scott. 
says, what are your thoughts about time off or other training variations between parts one and two of a training plan? And he says, example, given sweet spot base, since it's broken up into those two halves. Uh, the only the only time I'd excuse uh, a break between that is if it were a short one. So if you're talking about a long layoff, really anything over a couple weeks, probably, yeah, uh, I would just start from scratch. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I usually do if I lay out my whole year of training, I'll usually leave like a, a week between those phases. And that's not because I plan to take a week off. It's just because life happens. And if something happens and I have some yeah. wiggle room, but, but a couple of weeks of inactivity, especially if it's due to injury or illness is yeah. a pretty hefty setback. So it you kind of backtrack quite a ways. Yeah. What do you mean by start over? Would you start in this case? I would just start sweet spot base one over. But I mean, if you're like midway into your season and you're doing your build training, I would probably just start the build training. I wouldn't start from zero every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I think a lot of people wonder if you need time off between a training or between as you work through your phases, and you don't. You can continue That's on through. In, right. Ideally, the recovery yeah. weeks handle that. I mean, if you exactly. tack on a couple of days, uh, that that's something. But taking an, uh, an extra week or two, I don't know that that's and even then you don't even need a couple of days. Yeah. Could the um, um, if someone does need a week off or with travel or something, mm-hmm. could somebody, instead of the recovery week, use that as a rest week and then yeah, just I've, come back into to I've two? recommended that a number of times. I mean, it's total downtime, so it's not exactly active recovery, but it's recovery. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you may slip a little bit coming back. First few mm-hmm. workouts might be a little uncomfortable, but fitness really shouldn't drop off hardly at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff. Alex, he says, why do I find low intensity workouts like Holt Hill or their longer cousins, Lyle McClure and others? So, and those are workouts. If you don't know, um, long steady workouts. Yeah. Long steady stuff within the trainer road library. He says, and others much more taxing than threshold and over under workouts. If I were to adjust my FTP higher to make threshold workouts harder, that would make workouts like Holt Hill, let alone Sunday rides impossible to complete. Is any of this normal? Am I missing something or doing something wrong? Based on feel alone, I look forward to threshold days and dread low-intensity TSS fillers. Normally, I would expect this to be vice versa. Help solve this madness. Thank you in advance for taking my questions. Great product and podcast, Alex. <clears throat> Super quick, Alex. You, you call them TSS fillers. They're really only TSS fillers when we kind of insert them in addition to the training you're already doing. So mm-hmm. in this case, calling a three-hour aerobic ride a TSS filler isn't exactly accurate. Mm-hmm. There's a whole lot of benefit that comes with that ride. You're not just trying to pad your TSS. Um, but <clears throat> I, I think... What's going on here is probably the same thing with most what as what most of us deal with in that there are no recoveries scheduled into those workouts. So they're just long slogs. You just go and go and go. And while sometimes um, in the text and a lot of those may not have all that much text in them, I recommend taking a 30 second or a minute long back pedal. And I've even devised some like minus one versions of them where they force you to do exactly that because they can go a long way toward maintaining a much higher quality workout. And there's really not much benefit, if any at all, in just blocking all that into one long sequence mm-hmm. as opposed to taking a, just a short break. I mean, you consider what, what it's like when you train outside, those breaks are there, whether you recognize them or not, they are there. And then, of course, you do recognize them every time you come to a stoplight or someone else uh, takes a turn or you hit a little downhill or something. But you're not getting any of that on the trainer. It's incessant. It's unrelenting. And I think that's why it's hard. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> and beneficial. I think it is exactly. So yeah. um, I think that's why I did so well in a six-hour ride, even though I'd only done two-hour mm-hmm. rides leading up yeah, to that. There's an upside to them for sure. Because you I were was doing two hours uninterrupted. Uninterrupted the whole time, right? And then we're I did looking, I mean, we want these to be exhausting but not exhaustive. If you get the difference there, I mean, we don't want them to run you into nothing or grind you down into nothing. Mm. We want them to maintain a certain level of um, doability, if you will. So I think working up to it, 
Right. Exactly. So it doesn't yeah. have to be this miserable slog every week. I mean, way, you, the sweet spot plans now have been updated. So those long workouts on Sundays are now yeah. replaced or yeah, they're replaced with sweet they spot based workouts. Yeah. And then you can still do the long ones if you want. Those are in the, the text. So those are yeah. finally released. Hooray. You know, I, uh, Alex, I, I relate to you very closely in the sense that over under work is, is pretty easy for me. We learned but from, see, it's not, I, in this case, I don't think it's even about the, the different types of workouts so much as the recovery is scheduled within them. Well, I mean, you do a 12 we, minute block. If we look block. at Alex's workout there, Alex's uh, question though, he's really talking about the fact that he finds threshold or higher intensity work like that, that has more breaks in between. He finds that easier. Yeah, and then and he's assimilating the lower intensity stuff with being harder. I, I've done the same exact thing. So that that's how I've felt for a long time. And there are a couple things I just wanted to add to this because what you said, Chad, is absolutely right. I mean, the, the, as far as like taking the breaks. Yeah. Well, between. I think we're just comparing interval workouts to long, steady stress. Yeah. And, and here's what I wanted to add to that. So I've, I feel your, I feel your situation there, Alex. And a couple things. Number one, uh, I found that work to be harder. And I think I did myself a uh, disservice by focusing on that and fixating on that. I think that a lot of the time, those short back pedals, and you've mentioned this before too, Chad, a lot of the time they allow us to mentally cope with the situation and kind of feel like we've gotten a break and physically, uh, it, do, it can do something for us. A lot of the time it's more of a mental benefit from having those short breaks because having something that's just consistent, the same for a long time mm -hmm. can be mentally difficult for you. I think that's why Nate did such a good job on that bike split too. Part of it, the physical side, but also the mental side requires a lot of focus. I am a mental giant. Yes. <laughs> just a steel <laughs> trap up there. So, um, so I think that that's something that I have been working on well, myself. It, for what it's worth, there is a tremendous uh, neurological demand when you have to maintain mm. effort for long periods of time. I mean, the brain activity that correlates with that, I mean, they, they've shown it's pretty taxing. Yeah, it really is. And and beneficial. Yes. I think. Again, yeah. very yeah. good. No, if you, you can build get that it on up. the road. You know, I, I posted something up on Instagram that was somewhat of a lie uh, because I said that I love monitor that workout and it's just a lot of steady state stuff with short one minute breaks in between. And that was one of my least favorite workouts as of three months ago or as of a few months ago and, and behind. But I've really worked on on just embracing that steady state stuff and changing my mindset about it. And I know this is super fluffy in the cloud stuff, but <laughs> it has really helped me uh, during those intervals and just changing my my focus on that. And it's it's allowed me to feel like, yeah, that work is physically taxing perhaps, but at the same time, it's no less difficult for me. I can do it. You know, it's it's yeah, the psychological component of there. of endurance training can't be undervalued. I think too with Alex, you might have a higher um, anaerobic work capacity than other mm -hmm. people, and that may be why mm -hmm. shorter threshold intervals of eight minutes or so um, are easier. Exactly. I, I was the same way before, and then I found that once I forced myself to get through those longer things, it really made me a better cyclist. Yes, to I do that. But Alex, in the rides. meantime, as you start to build the ability to maintain it for these long periods without totally dreading these workouts, um, you're, you're good at interval workouts, make these intervals. I mean, even if those intervals are 20 or 30 minutes and you just promise yourself a one minute break at the end of that 30 minute block, over time, just like with the other intervals, the intervals get longer, the recoveries get shorter as your fitness goes up. So that mm -hmm. carries to these, this type of workout as well. Yeah, it's Watch a good some tech. TV too. Yeah, that can help. That distraction uh, helps a lot. That, yeah. if, that can, if that's the type of I would of go crazy if I didn't watch TV while I worked out. Yeah, and I'm- On the long, slow stuff? Me too. I'm the, I'm the opposite. I just need music and that's it. Yeah, but I mean, so, you need some kind of entertainment. Exactly. Bring your own entertainment, people. Exactly right. Yep, that's the key. Oh, yeah. So 
um, yeah, it's, it, you're not abnormal in this case, Alex. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are listening to this. Like, Hey, I feel the same way. Hopefully people the other way too, right? Where exactly. the long stuff's easy and, and then the like over unders. If we see on Twitter, the people that, that, uh, that dread their over under workouts <laughs> more than anything else, I'm sure, or their workouts, I'm sure it's over under. We should have these people do muscle biopsies so we can see if Cause the one thing that we learned from at least that <laughs> any volunteers. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing we learned from that test was that I produce a lot of lactate, right? And, but, and over-unders have always been extremely easy for me, relatively speaking, compared to what uh, perception is to another person. That makes so, good sense. Yeah, so, the, but then that doesn't really help me train at all. I still have to just have the discipline and do the right thing. I know something behind the science of it that doesn't help me get faster. So that's just my work and focus. Uh, Andrew, he says, gentlemen, thanks for all your advice on previous podcasts. He called us gentlemen. Thanks. Welcome. Thanks, Andrew. Your question, no matter how terrible, was going to get answered. <laughs> um, just joking. Uh, he says, I have the following first world quandary. The family have uh, the family has a week of skiing or has the family have we are we have weeks of skiing booked in the middle of February. And I'm trying to work out how to minimize the effects on my training. Not going would involve expensive lawyers and finding a new home. <laughs> Skiing will be downhill only and no chance to do some cross country. Should I load up the TSS before I go, trash myself afterwards, or merely take a week off of the training plan and watch my FTP fall inelegantly down the slopes beside me? My main goal is <laughs> well to, yeah, very well. Uh, my main goal is to be put or to be in peak fitness for a road race in June. I'm 50 and my current FTP is just over four Watts per kilogram. Thanks for any advice. And Andrew, we just touched on that. And over a week's time, you're not going to see any big decrement in fitness. Certainly not your FTP. I mean, it might fall a, a couple points, but it's nothing you're not going to get back kind of quickly. Um, so then you just have to, like we've talked about before, decide how much you want to enjoy your vacation. I mean, if you thrash yourself prior and you go into it with dead heavy legs, I know from experience, mm -hmm. I ski horribly. In that case, and skiing is far from recuperative for me. I'm still in the learning process, so it's quite a lot of work. Um, you guys may be in a different situation, but in any case... Skiing is never uh, recuperative yeah, yeah, for me. Well, it shouldn't I imagine, be. no matter how if good you're skiing, you get, right, it's you're not still working. Happen. Even downhill, right? Oh, of course. And that's what we're talking about here. He's talking yeah, about I don't downhill ski. skiing. Oh. So, so I don't know. It's yeah. it's stressful. I mean, oh, it's yeah. it's more like isometric contractions. So yeah. Or iso yeah we're is basically where you workout? sustain it. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, so like if, you, um, if you're just doing like at a resort lift up skiing down mm -hmm. still a massive amount of cardio that you get going down yes. it's it's a it's like standing on a bosu ball and then being loaded with weight and then at the same time trying to carry out a movement and your knees the whole are time down. flexed the whole time so there's stress on your quads bottom or top to bottom every yeah. run see i've skied before but i just pizza french fried the way down <laughs> nice yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even then, yeah. and it was it pretty straight legs. It's, it's pretty it was scary tiring, but. yeah and then if you're doing like uh and i'll just take an uh, uh i'll take advantage of this opportunity to talk about one of the things that i love during the winter which is backcountry skiing which involves me skinning up which it's basically like hiking, but it's more like if any of you have cross-country skied, you glide more than you'd step. So you're more dragging your toes and you're going up, but you hike up a mountain and you go down. And so the tune-up, we talked about this the other day, like a 90-minute hike for a 10, 15-minute run. Yep. So you're doing like 90 minutes and then you get to the top and it takes me about a minute to get my skins off and flip all the levers on my bindings and boots and then ski down. So it's about 90 minutes up and I'm right, or I'm in that sweet spot range in terms of perception, right? Where I'm at, it's burning, it's difficult. And it's like hiking at a good clip. And then I have a minute to take my skins off. I put them, take them off. And then I ski down for 15 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it may be. 
And so you're do getting a good cardio workout. You're killing your legs going up. You're killing your arms as well because you're yeah. using your poles to, to pull yourself up the mountain as well. And then when you ski down, it's like, all right, let's do a wall sit and be weighted dynamically. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, so so the, the more Nordic you make these and more cross country oriented, the, the, the better fitness you'll carry into your cycling training. Mm-hmm. I, I've seen it every year. Some of the fastest guys early in the year, and they maintain this throughout the season too, do a lot of cross country skiing over the winter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's doing downhill, but yeah. But yeah. 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 I have another suggestion. Mm. Um, I have a similar, I'm, I'm always afraid on travel trips that I'll, I'll lose fitness. You could do, um, if you don't have like power meter pedals and that's kind of expensive to buy just for this trip, mm-hmm. it pains me to say this, but you could do a workout based on RPE and maybe heart rate. Yeah. I would, so, I would personally recommend RPE over heart well, rate. Well, uh, yeah. only I would say if you're doing something like Pettit, Mm-hmm. Like something like I'm going to do a recovery week. So you can set up your training where you're not going to completely thrash yourself like a training camp, but just have a week of maybe every morning you're doing an hour of easy spinning and that's better than nothing. And I'm going to keep my heart rate around 130 because I know yeah. about 130 is what I do for that. It's not going to be ideal training, but I think maybe what, what Chad said, you might even come out fresher mm-hmm. and ready to kill it when you come back. Yeah. And, and, not and lose there's anything. nothing wrong with training by RP for a week. I mean, I wouldn't recommend training. I wouldn't do intervals. I wouldn't train by heart rate pretty much anytime. But I mean, if you're, cons- if you're uh, familiar with training by heart rate and you know what to watch for, you know, maybe you could actually make that useful, but RPE, we're always in touch with that. I mean, every workout you, you're yeah. registering Your how data it feels. Forms perception. Yeah. yeah. It just yeah. Go so easy for like, Cause then he's going to be doing extremely hard stuff after that. So, mm-hmm. and then my other tip on that is, um, Amazon video and now Netflix let you download, um, yes. TV oh, directly right. to yeah. your parents, iPod parents or joys. Yeah. So cool. Yeah. So and also you can, a cyclist. Netflix has so many great series, stranger things. That's a, if you haven't heard of stranger things, I don't know where you've been, but download that one. Come and out you from can, under your rock. Yeah. Exactly. You can watch that. You just put your kind of like your phone or your your tablet right on the spin bike. Mm-hmm. He's got 60 minutes of easy spinning, maybe by RPE. And uh, yeah. yeah, that could kind of make sure you don't lose anything. And yeah, it's a great a fun way to time. Do it. Yeah. The kind yeah. Of compromise. Yeah. yeah. So enjoy the skiing, Alex. Um, enjoy the vacation. But just do it before your uh, kids get up and your wife, because so you don't get those expensive lawyers. Exactly. <laughs> those are bad. Uh, Andrew, uh, forgive me. That was Andrew. Uh, let's go into Frank. Uh, Frank says question for coach Jonathan curious about the foam mount you use on the video. I'm looking for one that sits in front of the stem like yours does. Thanks. I'm I assume he's talking to one, uh, video that's on our YouTube channel. Uh, some of the instructional videos on there. We all use K edge mounts on our bikes. Now we love them. They hold them in front, but they also hold the phone in line with the bars instead of sticking up, which is aerodynamically better. I'm sure that's marginal, but it's better, but especially on the trainer, you don't really get much benefit. Um, but the one thing that I like about that is it, um, it puts the phone and once again on the trainer, that doesn't have much benefit, but if you fall, your phone, isn't the first thing to hit. It's tucked down a little more, which is great. It's, it's the screen isn't going to hit. So that's something I've noticed, but they're really good mounts because they are, um, they're aluminum. So they aren't all flimsy. And then the mount itself, the plastic part, it's like a, it clicks into place firmly, but it's like a little softer. It's not brittle. Like a lot of the other ones I've used. So I, I love mine. It's really secure, really sure. Yeah. And then as far as how we attach the phone to it, there's a, you can go to our blog, blog.trainerroad.com and you can look, um, just search phone case on there and you'll see, we have a step-by-step thing on how to build one. It's a, it's custom. 
Yep. What we do, custom. we're actually gluing epoxying something to a regular phone case. Yep. So you can't buy it. And it functions. Sorry. It functions just fine. You can buy the pieces and yeah, then do just it make sure stuff. if you have the KH mount that you mount it far enough back on the case. Yes. And you don't ever take it outside. Because yes, it's not going to work. Do that. But no, we no. we have an earlier one where it's not far enough back for my phone, yeah. and it won't fit on my cage mount. That's frustrating. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a DIY fix, but it's real simple. Yeah. Exactly. Well, yeah. It's if you have glue enough. Yeah. Glue and uh, some sandpaper, you'll be fine. So. Uh, Victor, he says, Hey guys, awesome podcast. I'm wondering where you come down on yoga on off days. I read some time ago somewhere. So take it with a grain of salt that there is no correlation to when you stretch and preventing injuries. So it does not matter that you stretch before or after a workout or on off day. It just matters that you do stretch with that in mind. I have been doing yoga once or twice a week while training. I do a proper warm up and cool down on the bike, but no stretching. What do you guys think about this approach? Thanks. I was just reading an article about, um, there was a study that showed that stretching before a workout, um, makes you more likely to be injured. So I've heard, which yeah. I mean, there's a part of my brain that says that makes sense maybe because like you would increase your effective range of motion or stretch things out possibly. And then under vigorous yeah, and activity, l- lower muscle recruitment, and all this stuff. It's, it's such a complicated topic and, and everyone it can is. find good support for <clears throat> either side of the argument that I try not to enter into it. Um, simply to say that if any of your movements are limited, then stretching them, finding a way to unlimit them is sound advice. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. don't have enough time to do yoga. Yeah. It, well, interestingly enough. Or I don't pri- prioritize it high enough in my life. That's, I like that. That's, that's more like good. it. Yeah. That was very good. Because everyone solid. has time to I do like anything. That. Yeah. Um, well, not anything. But. Yeah. You're like a book right there. That was fantastic. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like a self-help book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was good. <laughs> it's not you don't have time. Uh, David uh, actually answers Victor's question in one respect. He says, you asked what your listeners do for recovery on this week's podcast. He was listening a couple weeks ago. Um, he says, I'm 49 and, and three quarters. That's, that's important. Thanks for adding that in. And took up yoga in May as I was getting increasingly tight in my already short hamstrings. Um, he says yin yoga, which is a specific type of yoga, uh, has helped the hamstrings, but also been especially good for flexibility and reduced tension in my hips and shoulders and reduced overall fatigue levels. I do it between 20 and 60 minutes post ride from either YouTube or YouTube or, and I think it was written out YouTube, but I, and I don't know if it was a typo or it was why YouTube, and that's actually a thing. I'm not sure. Oh yeah. I corrected um, that. So maybe I should He says, have. or structured classes at my local gym. Uh, cheers, David. So, yeah, so David, I'd be willing to bet that a lot of your improvement came from the hip stretches more than the mm-hmm. hamstring stretches. Cause the, the hamstrings in particular, I, I, I hate that that's, it bothers me that that's what most cyclists go to when they think they need to stretch something because mm-hmm. uh, on a bike, uh, in a chair, behind a car, you know, where we spend most of our time, our hamstrings are in a long position already. They don't typically need strengthening. They need, or I'm sorry, they don't typically need lengthening. They need strengthening. Yeah. So stretching your hamstrings is probably not addressing anything that they actually need. If anything, there's probably a weakness in some other aspect of your posterior chain, probably your glutes, some deep muscles, something in the low back. Maybe your hip flexors are too tight because those are That's very common when we're in those positions that I just described. Yeah. So stretching the hamstrings is seldom, if ever, the right call. Yeah, and um, I, I brought up David's answer there to just give Victor some some point or, or uh, I guess a point of relevancy there or... Yes, relativity of reference um, for him. So None that, of us can talk. Yeah, we can't today. <laughs> why are we, why do we why are podcast? talking? Yeah, yeah, right? 
Um, and one, one thing about this, I, I do, uh, I don't actually like sit down and, and I don't, you know, do ohms and do the full on yoga thing, but I do a lot of moves from that. And I do those every day and I do it twice a day. I usually do it first thing when I wake up in the morning and then after my workout in the evening, right now I've been doing workouts in the evening, then I'll, I'll be doing that then as well. And basically my goal is to it just keep things loose and open in my hips, which has always been a difficulty for me, especially like Chad mentioned on the hip flexor and so as tensor fascia a lot of everything in the front there, because we tend to shorten that a lot. So I find it to be very beneficial. That said, David mentioned a specific type of yoga, and this is really important. There are different types of yoga. And if you are doing a certain type of yoga, that's going to be having you in advanced, you know, positions or, or any type of thing that requires a lot of strength, you will be worked on your rest days. It mm. is extremely demanding. It's not just stretching and I've breathing. I've never found yoga to be restful mm. or recuperative. It's hard. Yeah. You can do stretching movements from yoga if you're looking to stretch and sure they're great. Um, but those are really just stretching movements. Yoga is kind of a different thing and its own beast. And in many cases it is extremely demanding. So mm. Uh, it's something that if you are going to try doing yoga on an off day, make sure that it's something your body can tolerate. So, um, let's get into, uh, Stuart's question and we'll just wrap up a couple more. Uh, he says just recently joined trainer road and enjoying my first experience with structured training. I was listening to the stuff you should know podcast on Soylent and that's S O Y L E N T for people wondering a meal replacement drink that is supposed to supply you with all your, with all your nutritional requirements and was wondering what you all thought about this product for endurance athletes. I like the idea of being able to drink a healthy meal instead of having to plan, prepare and clean up after normal meals, but didn't know if the nutritional requirements claim would still hold up to someone on a training plan. How are the nutritional requirements different for an athlete compared to a non-athlete? Thanks guys. And best wishes. So those of who aren't familiar with Storyline, uh, an engineer guy created it and he pretty much wanted to optimize his life. And he's like, Hey, all this stuff breaks down into these chemicals. So why can't I just make a bottle with these chemicals? Um, they got a bunch of backing their, their first, their 1.0 release. Somebody here tried it for a while. Some people would get like gut problems and yeah. anal leakage and stuff like it's, that. <laughs> they now have early stuff. Yeah. Uh, Which this is by the way, the most engineer thing I've ever heard of. Like take something that is regarded with like passion and soulless. everything else, like, you know, food and and just be like, no, I need this. Wait, <laughs> sap yeah. the enjoyment out of a day. Well, it's a yeah, lot yeah, of good marketing right? too. Cause yeah. like insure. Oh yeah. Of like, course it's great marketing. It's kind of like a little similar to that. At least the <laughs> yeah. first one. So now they have a 2.0 mm-hmm. and I've thought about taking this a few times. They, they do it in like one bottle now. It's 400 calories. Um, inside that bottle, you get 21 grams of fat, 37 grams of carb, 20 grams of protein. I wish that it, they added nine grams of sugar to it. Hmm. Like why add the sugar? Like if you're going to be drinking this and it's, no one drinks these things for like taste, right? right they just exactly. like, let's just chug this thing down. <laughs> you're you're genuinely- you add sugar for taste. Exactly. So I don't know why they do that. And looking at some of the ingredients, I'm not, well, I wouldn't it, put the, soy the protein in it. Like they put a lot of, the soy is the, the main so protein one. So much wrong with it. Well, let's get into specifically how are the nutritional requirements different for an athlete compared to a non-athlete. And if uh, well, this would be You're going to hear some. Uh, that's the big deal. It's just that that's debatable our, too. our nutritional right. requirements are much higher than they are for a sedentary person. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think it's enough carbohydrate. I think it's too much fat to be readily absorbable post-workout post or even during workout or even just pre-workout. Yeah. Um, 
<clears throat> and you know, protein is all, all good and fine. I don't like the fact that there's soy in it, but and, you know, these are all personal gripes. The, the fact is it's, it's not enough food. So you're going to have to double up. I mean, if that's going to be a meal and you plan to incorporate a workout into your near mm-hmm. future, there's going to have to be more food than that. But yeah, what about, say, you just did uh, one of these bottles for breakfast? Yeah, you know, as far as meal replacements go, which I'm yeah. not super keen on, but could be better than a McDonald's. Uh, I doubt it. I really do. Really? <laughs> yeah. Who knows, right? Anything that's this far removed from nature, just uh, I have a hard time with. Here's my here's <laughs> McDonald's what McDonald's is, is kind of <laughs> eggs, eggs <laughs> yeah. and sausage. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can get us Canadian bacon and eggs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I don't. I think they're far worse breakfast than McDonald's McMuffins. <laughs> and Chad's five heads just clearly, exploded. Chad's is getting yeah, exactly. Chad's is getting checks from McDonald's on this. Um, so, but here's what I wanted to add in on oh, this. Oh yeah, so you put sucralose in it. Why put sucralose in it? Uh, I don't know. Like just, I ah, uh, that's another. That's a mm-hmm. fake sugar, and a lot of people can have gut problems with that. That's what I'm saying. But why put it in there? I mean, so here's th- this I'm, is so many steps removed from what's natural and intended yeah, for our bodies that yeah. I can't imagine living off of it. Here's what I, yeah. And here's what I wanted to get to as an endurance athlete. Sure. You have limited time that makes meal the, the, the traditional process of shopping, preparing, and then cleaning up and managing a meal difficult because you're trying to fit in three disciplines into life and yeah. that's tough, but your food is the, the fuel that helps you train so I think that if you are trying to decide, is it better to optimize my time and just, you know, give myself more time so that I can use, and by using this, the food, and I'm doing air quotes here, or to actually use proper food and to go about it, I would much rather, and this comes from a person that raced motorcycles, of course, and spent like $45 a gallon on the best fuel I could my bike would perform better and my body performs better when I really put in all the effort I can into what I've Yeah, as much as I'd like to say, try it and see, I I can't even advocate trying it. So there's a lot of people who feel the same way that Soylent hasn't gone far enough to do like optimal nutrition. And if you Google DIY Soylent, there's like Mm -hmm. a Reddit subreddit for it and people like the idea of creating something like this. It's simple. And they have a whole bunch of other like combinations. So one that I, I almost do this in the morning and I'm thinking about changing when we get our new office too, cause I'm going to have, uh, just more kitchen space, but you do your whey protein. I do mycelium husk for fiber, put in some r- just uncooked oatmeal and some coconut oil. Huh. You can blend that in like a bullet. The only thing, I mean, you get the whey protein, but, and then take some vitamins you're probably there and you can really tweak it to how many fat carbs and protein you, you want. Yeah. And that's, yeah, if you're just looking for a convenient thing. meal, yeah. a meal yeah. or a meal replacement. I think yeah. there are a lot of better ways you could go. So, Certainly. I mean, that's going to, I think to me, that sounds not so bad. Yeah. Right? Not bad at all. It's not going to taste delicious, but no. And yeah. he'll do the job. But that's okay. He'll do the job. Yeah. He'll get it done. All right. Well, thanks for submitting your questions, everybody. Uh, you can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad. We come through all those questions, try to pick them in, and hopefully uh, we can pick yours and put it into the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.